0: Well, good morning. I'm glad you had a chance to greet one another and just to warm, warm up the room a little bit. Before I get into this morning's word from God, um, let me pray for us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence here this morning. We know you are a God that can do all things, and especially love your people so I ask Lord that you make that evident now and in this room I already know there are people here who are probably very tired so we ask because you encourage us to ask that I give, give this request that you would give rest to those who are tired some in this room may be burdened and I ask that you would lighten their load some may be physically and maybe even spiritually hungry, so feed them. Some are hurting, so give them comfort and healing. Some may be going through things that are causing them to be afraid or fearful, so give them courage. Many here may be anxious about something, so give them peace. And some may be depressed or discouraged, so give them hope and joy. And many here may feel like they're not loved, unaccepted. So Lord, you are a God of love. So may you love them this morning in a way that will be so profound and intimate to them. Lord, will you help us to know what you want us to know this morning. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. Help us to see what you want us to see. But most importantly, help our hearts feel what you want us to feel. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Ever since uh, I was born, you go through life, and there are situations in life that you just don't want to ever happen. But inevitably, they will always happen over and over again. So think back. When you were in elementary school, you know, the one thing you don't want to have happen is to get that call to go to the principal's office. It's never a good thing when the principal says, Calvin, can you come and see me? So all kinds of things go into your mind. It's probably all negative, but that's a situation that nobody would ever want to do. Later in my education process, I remember when I was going to Cal Berkeley, uh, I was a biochemistry major. Okay, so I knew I wasn't going to be a biochemist. I just chose it because being a hotshot being a high achiever, instead of doing something like integrative biology, I mean, or, or public health. I know I'm throwing some shade here, but I said, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take biochemistry, because that's, that's challenging. And, and uh, the only times I ever met with my major advisor was right at the beginning of declaring my major, and at the end. I mean, that's probably the Cal experience. I never saw my advisor except when I declared my major and when it came to the end. And uh, if you know my, my, my transcripts and my grades and stuff, biochemistry obviously was not my forte. I mean, I barely passed. And so when I went to go see my major advisor, uh, when you have to go meet with them to make sure you're okay to graduate, I had uh, this, this kind of anxiousness because I, I didn't know what was going to happen because I only met him maybe once or twice. And I knew he was going to look at my grades that I did, got in biochemistry, which were not um, stellar. And I, was, I was going to wonder what he was going to say to me. And, and when I went and met with him in his office, he's looking at my grades, and he's looking, and, he, and he's got this really somber and really serious look, and he's kind of shaking his head, and he's looking at me... Uh, Mr. Yim, are you thinking about a career in biochemistry? And I looked at him and I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're looking at my grades there. And I said, no, well, actually, I, I, I just got accepted into dental school. And <laughs> he brightened up and he looked at it. Congratulations, uh, you have a career ahead of you. Obviously, it's not in, in biochemistry. But at that moment, I was totally relieved because Those are the moments in life what we call being called on the carpet. Have you ever had those situations where an authority figure, a superior, calls you in to explain your actions or behavior? And usually it's to reprimand you or tell you where you messed up. So when I was going to my major advisor, I thought he was gonna call me on the carpet. But I had not that kind of experience, but in life there are many times where we have those experiences, where we're actually called on the carpet. Now, for those of you who are familiar with that, that idiom, that saying, it means it's something that we get uh, all anxious over. And it happens in, in our employments, where we work, workplaces. It happens in our family situations, by a parent to a child. In our marriages, by a spouse. Being called on a carpet is not something that is usually something that we like. And the experience, none of us like it, and we kind of try to avoid it. But there are times when we read scripture where God has to call us on the carpet. And those are moments that sometimes makes us very uncomfortable. But they're necessary, or at least I feel they're necessary. Because for myself, I know I'm a work in progress. And in my journey to becoming more Christ-like, God sometimes has to call me on a carpet. And there are passages, many passages in the Bible that have that effect, that are ones that have a lot of tension in them because they're challenging. And they're challenging for a reason. It's because there's something in me that is resisting that kind of change that God wants to happen in my life. But if I am truly a follower of Jesus Christ, if I have really committed my life to follow after him, then I will allow the Holy Spirit to work on me. And it's not an easy process. It's going to be painful, sometimes very difficult. But I must trust the process that God has for me and molding me into more like his son, Jesus. There are things that I have come to realize when I read God's word. Oftentimes, the things that are most beneficial to me are not the passages that justify myself but it's the passages that convict me that are most valuable. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of those passages that I find very challenging, one that can often convict me of my shortcomings. And we're going to look at Matthew 25. And as we've been going through the book of Matthew, the thing that we've commonly seen is that Jesus is looking for transformed hearts, heart change. And that's what he's looking for, and that's no different in Matthew 25. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me as I read from Matthew 25. I'm going to start with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's the word of the Lord. Matthew 25 is a chapter that has three parables. This is a point in Jesus' life where he's going to soon be arrested. And then tried and crucified. So this is the climax of his time here on earth. And this is known as his final discourse. Where he's doing a very passionate teaching to his disciples. And so he's culminating in Matthew 25 with these three parables. And if you're familiar with, with this chapter. The first one is the parable of the ten virgins. is essentially... Uh, the preparation, being prepared for Jesus coming and returning. The second parable in that string, in the trilogy there, is the parable of talents. That when Jesus comes, when the king comes to take his place, there's going to be an accounting of the talents and resources Jesus has given to us to use while we're here. And then the final parable, and the one that I just read, the parable of the sheep and goats, that there's going to be a separation into two groups, sheeps and goat. And so being, being separated, this concept of being divided into one group, into another group, is a common experience a lot of us get in our lives. It's something that we all are very familiar with, being separated into the in or the out, the haves or the have-nots, the accepted or not accepted. I mean, you go through it when you applied to college, right? You put an application in, and either you're in the accepted group or the not accepted group. When you go apply for a job, you interview. There are people who get the job hired. Some are not hired. So this screening process happens throughout our lives. It happens when you go to the market, right? You have a cart full of food. There's a line that says 15 items or less, or you can go into the general uh, checkout stand, right? Go to Disneyland, there's the fast pass lane, and there's the general standby lane, right? So it's a common thing that we're used to, of getting separated into groups. And here, Jesus is doing a separation. He's going to even a more deeper level, though, of separation. It's almost a screening process of finding who is a sheep and who is a goat. And those are very important things for us to, to uh, think about, is whether or not we are a sheep or a goat. Now, when we go to the airport, and to talk about this next level of separation, is that when we go to the airport, to get to our flights, we have to get to the gate. But before you get to the gate, you have to go through TSA. Right? So, even there, there's a separation. You have pre TSA check or <laughs> clear or real or whatever, or just general boarding, right? Security line. But when you go through, you have to show some sort of ID. So, either you bring your, your driver's license for uh, an ID or a passport. Now, when you're going through the screening line, they're checking to see if you are genuinely who you are. And they even check to make sure your ID is genuine, right? On these government-issued IDs, whether it's your passport or your driver's license, there's a holographic image here that they scan to make sure your ID is not a forgery or a fake. That security hologram is very important in a lot of things that, that, that are used to prove that it is genuine or it's fake. Even the products we, we buy, right? A lot of them do have that hologram label on it. So it's to just to prove that it's genuine versus something that's a knockoff or a forgery. But here in Matthew 25, Jesus is going to do this screening. And what he's screening for is checking to see if whether or not you are a real follower or just a fake. And that's really hard to take in if you read Matthew 25 in The Sheep and the Goats. That this process that will come when he returns that there's going to be a screening for real followers and ones who are just posers just acting like Christians just going to church just going through the motions just faking it because one day Jesus is going to look for his real followers and you're going to have to have some sort of Holographic label that's going to make you stand out when he scans you to check to see if you are actually a real follower. Verse 32 says before him will gather all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus is going to separate out posers from the genuine. Now in the original audience when they heard this story this parable about sheep and goats they were very familiar of this blending of sheep and goats that they would all kind of be kept together in in those days today we think of of sheep being in flocks and then goats are in herds but in that in those days when they thought of a flock it could include both goats and sheep and then due to the times today when we look at a sheep and goat they've been bred to look distinctively different back in biblical times sheep and goats actually looked very closely the same and and so they just left them together it was just convenience when they herded them to go eat feed them they they would just keep them together so that was a common concept back in jesus time then also they're hearing about sheep and goats, the people would understand that sheep were actually more valuable or more noble an animal than a goat. Although they had both, they have uses, but the sheep was more prized than a goat. Sheep had their wool, and, and their wool was prized because you could make clothes out of it, and their wool was much better than goat's hair which was also used, but it's just more rougher, it was more coarse, so sheep were more treasured for the quality of their wool versus a goat's hair. And also the meat of sheep was much more fattier, so it was tastier than a goat at those times when they were bred. And um, not only was it tastier because of the fat content in the meat, but fat was very valuable. I mean, you could use it for many things other than for food. Fat was used for fuel. You could use it as a lubricant. It was used for um, sealing things. So it had many other uses. So the fat in the sheep was very valuable in the time. So between a sheep and a goat, people knew that sheep were more valuable. There's another characteristic about goats that was also kind of negative and also maybe a metaphor when Jesus is using it about people. Sheep are very picky about what they eat. They have to graze on good pastures, good grass. If they eat anything else, they'll get sick. But goats have no problems with eating anything. Goats will eat uh, spindly, uh, uh, poisonous plants. They'll eat rough, coarse. They'll eat anything. It doesn't even have to be, they'll eat paper or, or cans. and They'll just eat. That's what a goat does. They just, they have no discretion. So they'll eat stuff that would be considered bad for you. But goats have no problems with that. And it's kind of a metaphor about people like that. That they will consume and participate things in the world that are harmful. But they don't mind. They don't have a discretion. But sheep won't do that. So, Jesus is saying he's looking for sheep. And, he, and he's not looking for goats. So, here the text tells us that he's going to... That Jesus is going to separate them. Uh, sheep and goats. So, the question is, again, are you a sheep or are you a goat? And as I said before, in church, there are just some of us here... That may be just going through the motions. From the outside, we look like we're a Christian... But inside, we haven't made that commitment to follow Jesus and give ourselves totally to him and his ways. And this will work out really well until the day where Jesus comes, where he's looking for his true followers versus those who are just faking it. And in particular, from this passage, what do we looking, see that Jesus is looking for? Because there are things that obviously must make one be more like a sheep than a goat. More like a genuine follower versus a faker, a poser. So what do we see here? The characteristics that I see from from this passage, looking at the sheep in particular, they do something that apparently is just loving others. They care for it the least. And in particular, you know, sometimes we, we, we dismiss, is this literal or just figurative? Well, first, it always is a challenge when you look into Scripture is to first test it to see if, does it make sense literally? And there are six things here that Jesus lists that seems to make sense. He says that, you f- that he recognizes sheep that feed the hungry that give drink to the thirsty, to give shelter to, to a stranger, to host a stranger, to give clothes to those who need clothes, those who are naked, and visit those who are sick, and visit those that are in prison. Very specific, six things he lists, the, they make, kind of make sense. And what's kind of interesting about these six things they're not that hard to do. It doesn't really take any special skill required. There's no actually major cost, if you think about it. Giving food to someone, giving drink to someone, hosting them or helping them get, get a roof over their head, giving them clothes if they need clothes, visiting someone who's sick at their home or in the hospital or thinking about caring for those who who may be imprisoned. No special skill needed. No special uh, resources financially to do this. But if you think about it, let's be real here, a lot of us are probably very uncomfortable doing these six things. So I think the challenge often is not Think of these things figuratively, but think of them literally and see if we were actually simply applying this in our own lives. Because, you know, the main the other thing that that these these sheep or people who are like sheep, they do these six things, but they don't know that they do them. Or at least they don't know they're doing it for Jesus. And that's a kind of an interesting characteristic, meaning it seems to imply that these people do it naturally out of who they are. They don't know any better, they just do it. And, 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 and isn't that kind of what we all desire? Is that there is no bad motive for what we're trying to do? Is that we just naturally want to give food to people who are hungry, give water to people who are thirsty if they need a shelter or clothes, it's just something naturally we would want to do. Not to do it out of guilt, not to do it out of shame or do it out of duty, but it's just a natural response that we would have. And that's what Jesus is kind of implying here and looking for people that do this naturally. And that's something that comes out of a transformed heart. And the thing that 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 the sheep do the people that are like sheep is that they do this for the least. And I don't want us to kind of gloss over that. That Jesus says, to the least of these, you do this, you do it for me. So it seems to imply here that Jesus identifies with the least. And this is where I I come with the thing where it challenges a lot of us. That a lot of us do not desire to hang around Or serve the least. It's just not in our comfort zones. And so who are we talking about? Who are the least? Well, back then it would be people who are in poverty, the poor. Those who are the lepers, the ones that are pushed out of society because of some sort of uncleanliness. It's the prostitutes, the tax collector, people you just don't want to hang around. The thieves, the burglars, the robbers. But for some reason, Jesus likes those kind of people. Matter of fact, he loves those people. He hangs around them. And in this passage, he says, he identifies with them. And if Jesus identifies himself with the least, then he's looking for followers that also identifies with the least But a lot of times we're not comfortable with doing that because the least make us very uncomfortable. So, the first thing that, that, that I see from this passage is that there is going to be a separation. There is going to be a separation of the sheep and goats when Jesus returns. And the next thing I see from the passage is that he's going to look for people who are just like himself, people who love the least. In verse 40 it says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And this is the part that always convicts me. Because it's natural in a world that we live in, where the world tells us to to hang out with those who have privilege. Because in that way we gain our privilege for ourselves. It doesn't make sense to hang out with the least. There's no financial benefit. There's no uh, credit earned. There's uh, no nothing to gain from it. Only maybe a lot to lose. That's generally the world's perception of hanging out with the least. Those who are marginalized, those who have been persecuted, those who have been abused, those who have been ousted maybe using the contemporary term ethered in our society it doesn't make any rational sense for people who are trying to be the big dogs in a world full of smaller dogs that's the challenge that we are given by Jesus is that we are to look to hang out love and serve the least Because that kind of love is just like that praise song we sang earlier. It's a reckless kind of love. It's a love that can be dangerous. It could be very uncomfortable. It can make us unsafe. But that's the kind of love, that reckless kind of love that Jesus is looking for in his people. And some will consider it foolish, but Jesus considers it being a sheep and the kind of people that he's looking for. And I need reminders from God ever so often that I am to love the least. And a lot of times, those those times when God reminds me, it's often times where I'm not really prepared for it. Remember when I I said that some of the hardest scriptures that I read is not the ones that justify me, but it's the ones that convict me. And there are times and situations in life Way where I find I just fall short. Uh, as many of you know, I'm a, a dentist, and there was one time when I was going to my office, I, I practice in an area where it's a mixed community. There are a lot of halfway houses, there are a lot of uh, homeless shelters, there are senior centers, food banks, uh, mental health uh, clinics in, in, my, in my neighborhood. And so there are going to be uh, people that generally society has pushed aside and kind of isolated, but they're in my neighborhood. And and so when I go to my office, ever so often there are homeless people. They just hang around, they they sleep on the lawn, or they're taking shelter under my uh, patio of of the office building. So I see them, they're usually pretty harmless, Uh, they're there. Uh, but there was one time I went and there was this gentleman just kind of pacing in front of, of my office and building and he's talking to himself. So again, obviously, not to profile or, or stereotype someone, but the way he was dressed, he was disheveled, disheveled and, and he hadn't shaved and his hair was wild and, and then you see a person just talking to himself. You kind of figure out he's got some mental health issues and, and he's homeless. And, and so I didn't think about it. Went went, and went to go and see my patients and stuff, but then uh, during the middle of the day, this gentleman who's been pacing, ever so often I would look out the window and I see him still pacing and, and wondering, oh, what's, what's he up to? Uh, in the afternoon he comes into my office and he wants to talk to me. So I, I have a conversation and talk to him and, and he says, well, I, I know I have some holes in my teeth and I, I'd like you to take care of them for me. And so, you know, that's what I do. And I kind of said, okay, um, so we go through health history and stuff. And I'm thinking, uh, so how do you plan to pay for this and take care of this? And then he said, well, you know, speaking honestly, I don't have any insurance and I don't have any money. But I'd like you to do this one. And so there's a moment. So in, in this context, it's kind of a, a bizarre thing because, you know, generally if this was a, a volunteer event or a, a time where I said, okay, I open my doors for anybody to come, but, you know, generally I'm in business to to for a fee. Uh, but when the gentleman said, I, I, I kind of want you to do this for me and I don't have any way to pay for it. and then I, And then the next thing he said really... Caught me off guard. He said, I know you'll do this because you're a Christian. Then I go, whoa! <laughs> then I'm thinking, there's no neon sign in front of my office that says, Dr. am e. Christian. <laughs> it's not there. There's no Christian material in my office. There's nothing that would say that. But this homeless, this person off the street, he comes to me and he says, You'll do this because you're a Christian. And in that moment, things are flashing through my head. And, and this passage from Matthew 25 comes up of the sheep and the goats. And I get, oh, God, are you messing with me now? <laughs> are you Jesus here? <laughs> and so I just said, okay, I'll, t- I'll take care of you. So I went ahead and, and, and took care of his, his cavities. But there was a moment, as I was reflecting on that, that moment, that there were things that were just boiling up in me that I was not feeling like I was the best Christian. I was going, am I being taken advantage here? Or, is somebody screwing around with me. I was looking around, is there cameras watching me? But that moment I said, okay, if I'm truly a follower of Jesus Christ, then there should be a part of my heart that says, okay, I'll do this without any reluctancy or any regrets. But those are the moments that that come up in life that you will say or even turn a headlined eye to situations where people need help, especially those who are the least. And then we just ignore it. We just walk past it. Or even just simply say no. And Jesus is looking for people who are like himself, who will Not worry about whether it's safe, risky, no benefit to yourself, no no back scratching. It's essentially helping the least at a sacrifice. And that is something that Jesus is looking for and he's screening for people that are like that. The last thing I see here is that Looking at this parable of the sheep and the goats. It's definitely better to be a sheep than a goat. At least for eternal purposes. It's better to be a sheep than a goat. Verse 46 says. And these, the goats, will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Apparently goats will be eternally punished. They're going to be sent into the eternal fire with the devil. And his demons. And that logically, rationally, not a good thing. At least in my mind that's not. Maybe some of you think that's good. But that's not good. Flowing into an eternal fire is not a good thing. This verse says here, it is the righteous who enter into eternal life. And that's the sheep. Verse 37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And Jesus says, The righteous are the ones who did all those things. And if you do it to the least, then you did it for Jesus. And that is what righteousness means. The sheep will be rewarded with eternal life and they will be invited into heaven with Jesus. And again, logically, rationally, it makes sense. That's much better than being a goat. Being invited to eternal life with Jesus is a better thing than being a goat thrown into the eternal fire. And so that's my take-home truth for you all that Jesus doesn't want religious people he doesn't want posers, he doesn't want fakers, he wants genuine followers. But he rewards the righteous who are reckos- recklessly loved the least. That word righteous, the Hebrew word for righteous is often misunderstood. I think a lot of times if i asked a lot of you what does it mean righteous. I don't know if a lot of you would come up with the right answer. A lot of times when we think about the word righteous, a lot of people think it's just a being morally good being morally right. But the biblical concept, the Hebrew word for righteous means more than that. It's twofold. It's not only being morally right or being morally good. It also means biblical justice. Biblical justice and the holiness of God are the same, are connected in the word righteous. When you are righteous, you are not only holy, morally good, right with God, but you will also righteous in the sense that you have biblical justice and that means you care for others who are suffering injustices it essentially means that you will care for those who are needy and you would uh, subordinate your own needs for other people's needs that you would become a servant all this is kind of entailed in who Jesus is Jesus is holy and he came as not to be served but to be a servant. He hung out with the ones who are suffering injustices. The ones that society say you're not elite. You're not special. You don't have any authority or power. Those are the kind of people Jesus is looking for. And those are the people he serves and ministers to and loves. And so Here's to me in this passage, Jesus wants us to be like him. So if we're like him, we're to be just like him and to love the least. And whoever that may be, and this is the thing. Okay, so we can look at here and say, okay, they're the disabled, the sick, the, the, uh, the mentally ill, the widowed, the orphan, the poor, whatever. It actually doesn't matter. This is one of the criteria. That it's an easy litmus test for you to see who are the least. Um, C.S. Lewis says this really well. A lot of times, we, the, things that, that the common sin of all men is pride. And oftentimes when we think about pride, pride is thinking that you're good. But actually, C.S. Lewis takes it to another level. It's not just thinking that you're good. It's actually pride is thinking you're better than somebody else. That's what pridefulness is, is that you think you are better than someone else. So that's the litmus test for, for myself, and I give it to you. Who are the least? In that human moment, anybody you think you're better than, that's the person you need to serve. That's the conviction, is that if you think you're better than that poor soul on the street, if you think you're better than the poor person who, who can't go to college, you think you're the person better than the one who's, who, who's divorced, the one who's got cancer, or whatever in life. If that thought ever comes in your mind, then that's the person you need to serve. I know it's kind of a negative way of looking at it, but oftentimes, who are the least? It's anyone that you feel lesser than yourself. And so you can redeem it in this way, is that you can use that as a criteria of who you are called by God to serve those who are least. And so I also want to make a, make a, a, a point time here to make sure that we don't get uh, misled here. I'm not saying that salvation is gained by works. So doing these things doesn't give us our, 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 our salvation. I don't want to misteach that. Essentially, these works are evidence of our salvation. That is a response of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That we respond in a way that we would just be part of who we are from a transformed heart that we would serve the least. When we give ourselves over to Jesus, we would allow the Holy Spirit to come into us. And earlier I was talking to you about... You know, how our security IDs, our IDs have that security emblem, uh, the label, holographic uh, um, label, <clears throat> to demonstrate whether an item is actually genuine or fake. And I believe the Holy Spirit is that hologram, that hologram label in us. That when Jesus comes to screen us, he will look for the evidence of the Holy Spirit in each one of us. Because it's only the Holy Spirit's help that we can do some of these difficult things for this transformation of the heart. It can't be done by ourselves. We can't do it on our own. It can only do it through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you really, truly are walking with the Lord and you've truly made that that commitment to be a follower of Jesus Christ, at that moment, the Holy Spirit... You, 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 you've invited the Holy Spirit to come into you. To, to fill you. And it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit. That you have a transformed heart. That allows you to do the things that Jesus and God tells you to do. Because you can go through the motions. And it could look like you're doing it from the outside. But true works need to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knows the difference. So you can't fake it. So whatever way, continue to allow the Holy Spirit work in you truly. Because that's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for genuine people, not fakers. So have you made that commitment to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the Holy Spirit to come into your life? And some of you in this room, maybe you haven't. And I invite you to do so. Because if you're just trying to kind of role play what it means to be a Christian, you're not going to get very far. You're going to be frustrated and discouraged. You can fake it just so far. You're going to need that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to be working in you. And it only comes if you truly make that, that invitation. And then the Spirit can transform you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And for some of you, you've been running a long race with Jesus. The Holy Spirit has been working with you. But you come to a dry spot. So I encourage you to think about the things in your life that are just keeping you not focused on how the Holy Spirit can work in you. The Holy Spirit is always working. There are just some things in our lives sometimes blocking it. So you got to figure that out. Uh, that's probably a message at another time, but it's, you got to allow, maybe you're a part where, part where you feel distant from God, but you do need to press into him, to feel more of the Holy Spirit so that the evidence of his work can be seen in your life. And Jesus, on that day of separating the real from the fake, fake the real righteous from the religious, he will see the work of the Holy Spirit in you, the transformation of the heart, and then allow you to be rewarded into the kingdom of heaven and enter into eternal life. So turning from um, just the theology to the practical. So what are practical ways to love the least, to want to do this and not out of guilt, fear, or duty? There's just very simple things. If you take it literally, the things that you can prepare for those moments when you can confront it to serving the least. I mean, we have these 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 bags that we prepare and I have these in my car so when a homeless person or someone who's in need, they're available. It's a simple thing, but you can have them and you're prepared it, so it's not like you're not thinking about them and so you can prepare ahead of time. A lot of times when we're surprised by circumstances, that's when we fail. But when we're prepared, you can just have it ready. That's one way. I mean, there's other ways like when... Uh, someone needs clothes, and that's why a lot of times we have clothes drives. You just get your clothes that, that you don't need or in good condition, or even just buy some clothes, and we give them to ministries like City Team in San Francisco. And so they can give it to the the men who who, who need them there. Or, or, or to uh, shelters for abused women, the same way as we donate clothes to them so that they can use of that there's very simple solutions that we we can uh have planned out and they make a difference so these little things make a difference and and important in the scripture it doesn't say the scale of these acts have to be huge and tremendous they seem to be as i said very simple very basic and very easy to do with very not very much skill required and the distinction between a sheep and a goat is that the goats never did any of it they said they, apparently, they never did it. So even if you did this just once, at least it qualifies you, at least in a category of a sheep, right? So think of it positively like that. But it shouldn't be, we shouldn't be doing a kind of, you know, check-off list here that, oh, done it, and that's it. It should be that, again, Jesus looking more importantly as a heartfelt change that, that you desire and want to do this. And it's something that naturally happens and a lot of times these things don't happen naturally because they they are risky, they are reckless, they don't often make sense but habit is one way of developing a way of just being comfortable doing these things Uh, I want to quickly do something that that, I introduced this concept, uh, this organization before it's called Kiva.org K-I-V-A.org I I don't know if I had a a visual Okay, so it, it i you can go ahead and flash some of these. It's, keepit.org is like crowdsourcing. You, you actually lend money to people so they can use it to, to meet their needs. It's a good way of helping people without uh, having any kind of entitlement or, or causing them to not feel empowered. So what you do is you, you take your own money and you loan it to people. There's interest involved, because that's usually the best way To make sure people don't feel like they're on on welfare or anything they get to uh in the cases that i specifically loan to for different purposes and some of it is they need water filters to for clean water so that if you're going to help somebody have clean water so that when they're thirsty you loan them money so they can have a filter so it's all over the world usually it's in countries where the poverty rate's really high but they have it also um, you can loan money to people here in the United States. There's all kinds of needs. So the ones that I did specifically just for this message is that I loaned money to someone who needed a water filter. I gave money to people who, who needed um, uh, groceries that they could resell so they could feed their family. There's someone who needed to have a particular surgery, so I loaned them money for surgery uh, so that he's sick, so I ministered him that way. Someone needed... Uh, Funds to remodel their home, so the shelter. Uh, th- so there's a variety of things that you can look on this website, Kiva.org. It's a nonprofit. It's a really good way of utilizing your funds and, and, and reach people all over the world, just from a laptop. And sometimes, it, 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 and, and you get to know these people, they'll give you reports about how they're progressing. And it's a neat way of crowdsourcing, but it's a new way of using technology to minister in the name of Jesus. And then this summer, we have an opportunity to serve the less fortunate, the under-resourced, who are eye-screening. And I know it's a way that mobilizes the church, but it also gives you all an opportunity to, to serve the least. So those are just some simple, practical ways that that Jesus calls us to go into the world to serve the least. So I hope that you remember these words, that Jesus doesn't want religious, but rewards the righteous. And the righteous are the ones who recklessly love the least. And I hope you would take that seriously, because it's something that Jesus really wants and desires. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God of justice. You are a God who stands by the broken. And you have a reckless love for the least. And it is something that you want us to have for others too. So will you help us to bring action to our words, to love all mercies, to fill us up and send us out in your name. In his name I pray, amen.